Hi guys, you're listening to another episode of Escape Your Boring Job Stories. My name is Ivana and today I'm interviewing Lars Diener Kimich. Lars is a business coach specialized in innovation. He's also a startup founder and investor. Lars also has an extensive work experience in a big Swiss telecommunication company. So I wanted to talk to him about the importance of innovation in large corporates and how this affects employees' satisfaction. If you work in a startup, then you're innovating on a daily basis and no day is the same. But if you work in a large corporate, then you have a set of processes that you need to stick to. So things can get pretty repetitive and boring for people who are entrepreneurial personality types. So because Lars has so much experience with innovation, coaching, and also with startups, I wanted to get his perspective on the importance of innovation and feelings of satisfaction and purpose in our daily work. So Lars, welcome to my podcast. I'm very excited to have you here. Can you please tell us more about yourself and what is it that you're currently doing? Thank you for having me. I'm really interested to see what this leads to. Also in your introduction, I heard a couple of stereotypes that I think we'll want to dive into that life in a startup is every day exciting and corporate is very boring. So back to me, I'm a 47-year-old Swiss with a Finnish passport as well. I've studied engineering at the ETH Zurich and uh, throughout my last 25 years I've worked in a startup. I have been unemployed out of a startup and I currently for the last six years been an innovation coach with my own small company. I've lived in Switzerland, that's primarily where I grew up, lived in the US, Mexico and also Finland. And I think if I add it up, I speak 4.2 languages. Maybe just quickly, if you wanted to understand a bit, I finished school at the ETH Zurich. I went to work for Nokia in Finland, came back, worked for ABB, uh, joined the startup, then had to take on the job at Swisscom, where I spent 12 years, which you've probably referred to before. And I had some really interesting, exciting times there. First two jobs did have a job descriptions. The next jobs did no longer have one, except for my answer being, why not? And it was a great time that I was able to help experience the whole company or parts of the company, small teams, larger teams, and leadership teams. So I have an expertise, I believe, from a lot of practice when it comes to design thinking, agile, and lead. And I can relate really well between these at least three topics. You first went to work for Nokia in Finland, and then you came back to Switzerland, and then you worked for a startup. And yes. then you said that you had to join Swisscom. Can you elaborate on that? Why did you have to join? I married early. We said, let's get the first job and let's go and live abroad, different places, etc. And then I joined the startup with friends. And interestingly, I was just reflecting on that this year with the Corona year. That was the year of 9-11. And 9-11 had a massive impact. If you're in a startup with about 15 people and we wanted to get into banks and insurances being at the first and primary market to go into and from one day to the other they all shut down their investment budget on anything that was not essential the startup actually made it through i was not a founder i came on board as one of the core members to lead the whole development team but we really had to do the whole exercises with uh, you know short work and uh, laying off people and then at one point we decided we needed to lay me off as well that was also with me my decision and then i end up on the unemployment agency and that's quite the amplitude that I've had in my life and that has not really stopped which I'm also between being a high potential graduate from the ETH Zurich to being unemployed two years later 
being uh, unemployed, you have to go apply for jobs. There's a headhunter coming to me saying, hey, we need exactly your profile. Just look at it and it turns around, I think, believing a month or two later, I had a really super cool, interesting job in Bern. And instead of moving to the world, we moved back from Zurich to the region of Bern where I grew up in. We never really looked back. We kept looking forward. I want to hear more about your experience in Swisscom. You said that you had a very cool job when you joined and that the first two jobs had job description and then the other ones didn't have. So tell us more about what exactly did you do and how were your years there? Well, Swisscom is Switzerland's largest telecom provider, IT, IP, uh, TV, etc. Really cool. I think also a very trusted brand. When I joined and the years that I was also able to be one of these innovation pioneers, putting small dings into the innovation universe or economic universe in Switzerland, primarily. And I joined in a department or a staff function to help total quality management, which is probably at first sight totally contrary to who I am, but it was really about disrupting of how this was all done because we needed to do this certification by the ISO standards. If we need to do that, we want to do it with having a business contribution. So why not set up a process landscape and documentation that can actually be used by business. And then we would start coaching business and improving these processes, et cetera, which worked really well. But that was more of the entry job that I was picked from the market and I got into Swisscom Mobile at that point, which is the mobile unit, the most dynamic unit at that time, with massive growth, et cetera, and a very dynamic leadership team as well. Next step was more of a clear move back into product marketing. I was uh, responsible for SMS products and add-on products and phasing out products, et cetera. And at that stage, it was a colleague of mine who does have an outpost in Silicon Valley and she'd be transferring back thinking. And what I like so much about is that term that we call the way of working. It's really a modus operandi, a way of working, design thinking, agile, et cetera. And it really came into play. And that played really well into me because this is what I had been doing a lot already intuitively. And I was always looking into where can I set my own standards, ways of working, etc. I used that first in my team. And then I was asked to actually come into the billing topic, which is a very interesting way of, of getting started in customer experience and design thinking. Because I always kept saying that our bill has 100% penetration with our clients, probably the most popular in terms of penetration product that we have so we were able to work on that and we did first have some issues to really take care of and the way we did and again the way of working made people interested in how we did that and then question came from top down saying hey could you imagine doing this for the whole company help spread the way of working through the whole company so i worked primarily on the b2b unit did um, ran the whole design thinking customer experience management program by helping leaders and project teams coach and work on their own projects, always trying to have impact and always helping on transformational journeys. An individual level, you know, transformational impact from doing a training and applying it on your own project to also larger parts of the organization and then really creating a movement. On my last, let's call it posting, that was on a group level. I was responsible for the overall uh, lean program, continuous improvement program. And I think for the first time, we were able to combine that core mindset of design thinking and lean and agile, which works so well together if you understand the underlying principles. And that was the basis then for me to go independent. I've had lots of requests, you know, go to conference talk and, and I always like to exchange and there were a different interest of, hey, could you come help do that, inspire, etc. Also now transformational journey.
How many years in total did you work for Swisscom? I think it's 12. Fair share of corporate experience, but then again, in our lives, we work with stereotypes, you know, corporate being big and boring, etc., and startups being exciting and fun and every day is different. It's awesome what you can do in corporates because you've got a different set of resources that you can work with and you've got connections, you've got possibilities, you've got technological capabilities and you have talent in these houses. It's often hidden. You can go find out and people have talent. They're not really using at their regular job. It's just awesome. It's a lot of great people. So I'm not going to be helpful if you want to clarify these stereotypes even sharper and saying, well, corporate boring and startup exciting. Because on the other hand, like you said, startups, yeah, cool, fun, but man, is it tough how difficult it is to find great people. How can you sustain if you have a drought, you know, if you're running out of liquids, how do you do that? Set up a good network of partners, etc. So it's tough. Is this really true that big companies are interested in innovation? Generally, I think if no company, the smallest or the biggest can say, well, I'm not interested in innovation. And then on the other hand of that whole scale, I think if a company is going to say, well, everybody's got to be involved in innovation and do innovation every day, I think that's the other extreme, which I also don't believe in. And I think going back to your question, if you're looking at the corporate, you know, is it just a nice thing to have? I don't believe that innovation and innovation activities should be just equally distributed across everyone in a company. A corporate is not just a corporate because they're big. A corporate is a corporate because they have been successful for quite a while. And I think you have to be very appreciative of no matter how big you are, what makes you successful. Innovation in corporate is important, but it's just one part. And there's a very big, healthy part of a corporate or any running business that is creating value. So basically being able to send bills, to create jobs, making customers happy. Again, innovation can probably also take place on completely different levels. One being the, probably the most obvious on something like a product innovation, where I'm very hesitant to start with because I think it will, you know, historically pushes into position where, oh, we have a great idea. Let's push it out there on the market. I'd rather want to start with where is there an unmet need? Where's a gap? Is there a problem worth solving? And corporates can do that just as well. Sometimes I'm sure it's an advantage of not having the whole legacy, not having all the value creating machinery that's running to look at things from a different perspective. And this is, I think, where high bias to let's spin off, let's spin out, let's go independent. And that gives you a lot of drive. But then on the other hand, if you're looking at problems we're solving, of a bit of a larger size, let's look at mobility, let's look at the corona crisis, etc. That's not the startup that's going to solve it. That's, I think, where we need the bigger bodies that are bringing their power to the game. And then we're coming back to the original statement, where I said, I'm not going to help bash the stereotype of corporate boring sitting on their assets that they have. How did you see average level employees reacting to these kind of changes and what can companies do to kind of help them adopt this innovation and make them feel motivated? Well, I think these are questions that are worth a couple of books, <laughs> but I'm glad that you're asking for my experience, which is of course limited. 
One of the things that I we believe we've already touched a bit, I think innovations, in my belief, should not be evenly distributed across people in an organization. There are people that are supposed to drive innovation forward. So that's really thinking out forward. Most likely leadership that are supposed to make sure that innovation can take place while at the same time, as we've talked about, the whole operating engine can still perform well and even develop possibly in continuous improvements. And another thought on it is maybe also, I've been in that role of leaning forward, of being a leader of a movement, of moving forward, pushing forward, of pursuing an idea, of iterating it forward in a very fast way. And I've had a lot of people say, hey, I could never do what you do. But once you start helping us lead a way, a direction, creating a purpose, I'm the first behind you. I'm going to help you support with my skills, my resources, et cetera. So they're massively contributing to the innovation to make it happen because, you know, any idea is not worth the thing unless you get the rubber on the ground. And there's a lot of people that are going to put the rubber on the ground. In my experience, probably five to 10% that will have and take on that wild, we don't know where we're going. Let's go try find a path, et cetera. The pathfinders, the path creators, whereas you probably have 50% of the population in the same organizational set up they're gonna say yeah we're gonna help with whatever our talent asset etc is and push that you will have hopefully the smaller part of the people are gonna say well i know change you know just for change sake we don't want to do we don't like change because change takes energy try starting brushing your teeth with your other hands it's such a hassle just the small stuff and I understand that because you want to be able to be efficient with your energy and anything that changes it's difficult. So I always say, if you want to be able to create the change, you need to be able to show a significant benefit. Otherwise, people won't go over that threshold. I'm always operating a bit with these. If you look at the whole population, I keep saying that in an organization that you've got the, the leaders, the ones that are constructively irritating, thinking forward, don't, they're not afraid to fail in brief intervals, etc. And then you've got a large and strong body of people with assets and competencies that can help make the path, pave the path that you know, you've got the pessimists, you know, the obstructionists, et cetera, and try to ignore them. It's just so much energy that goes into there. Do you have any other tips of how employers can motivate their employees or help them go through the innovation easier? No one except for yourself is going to motivate you. You have that motivation in yourself. One of the key elements is really understanding the why. I call this the test what gets you out of bed in the morning. You know, when you're sitting on bedside, are you going forward or are you going backward? So it's that purpose question I think you need to have an answer on. From my experience as well, there's people that are like me that need to know it right now. Why I'm getting up? Why am I going there? Why am I doing that? Others have more patience. My wife has more patience and have met a lot of people that I envy for their patience. Like, well, we don't need to know that now. We can wait that out for a month, for half a year, etc. Maybe some for a year. I'm starting to see an asset in that as well. So it's really also the whole mix that you need to see there. But every one of us needs to understand the why or have a why. We know however haptically you can understand the why, but you need to have that why. In the purpose question, one of the things that works so well, that doesn't really matter whether we talk about corporate leaders, any kind of teams, you know, administrative teams or startups or single part-time entrepreneurs. It's a book by Dan Pink. I think it's about 10 years old. It's called Drive, which I like a lot. I also like it a lot because there's a YouTube video 
uh, to it, which is, I think, uh, 11 or 12 minutes long, which summons it up so well and it's visualized. And what I've learned from that thing and I've applied a hundredfold by now is understanding that there's three key elements that drive motivation. It's purpose, it's mastery, and it's autonomy. And it's that that may be interesting for you, you know, the listeners is I often use that when working with leaders, I tell them, listen, now think about your job being a very small little stool with three legs. And one is the purpose. Do you have a purpose? Do you understand the purpose? Are you aligned and comfortable with a purpose? Mastery means the possibility of learning a skill, mastering some, you know, achieving some extra skill level, learning to play guitar, doing finances. And the autonomy is basic autonomous space that you actually get a responsibility for a certain space to create and to act and, and move in without everybody telling you exactly what to do. Going back to that little wooden chair, if you look at it and say, okay, how are you sitting on your job? And that's usually when the room gets quite quiet. I also in top leadership positions, we'd say from the outside, wow, they're super happy and successful, et cetera. And you can do that check with everyone. And it's just something very good. And I think it's very resourceful to think about these three dimensions and three questions. So the purpose question is really, get, does it get you out of bed? The mastery is like, I think it seems to be quite human that we want to get better at things. And the autonomy is about, we want to take on responsibility. I think this is very helpful for me to start understanding motivation a lot. And then also, okay, where and how can we act on it? So originally right now in the industry, we are started asking like about the why, which links quite well to the purpose. We can talk about the mastery saying, hey, what's your development path, your plan, what kind of skill set you want to have, capabilities, experience you have in the autonomy is about carrying responsibility, taking over accountability for things to happen or spaces to be covered, et cetera. And how do you find your why? With more quiet moments, like thinking moments, but I'm thinking about maybe I'm not searching for a why. Maybe it just becomes clear. And probably something I personally need to, and I believe a lot of people have to be able to check that. I have a why does not necessarily have to be between your ears, but it's really more of a stomach or heart question. Like, I see that. It's a good thing. Now we want to try to save this planet from global warming. So how do you find it? I think by taking the moment to think about it, to clarify it, to ask yourself a question. Do I have a why? What is the why? It's really going for it and it needs to click or it doesn't. There's another contribution, maybe something I like to do a lot. It took me a bit older than 30 to understand that and I learned this from a child psychologist every school kid before graduating or when graduating every one of us needs to understand and want to contribute something to society so the question what is your contribution to society and this is when we might bust the frame of this podcast where we talk about corporates and startups we're talking about whatever else we're doing but we were not necessarily getting paid for, but what is our contribution to society? And this is where the whole thing about purpose links into, of course, again, in mastery, why else would we go teach kids to swim on our free time, et cetera, and autonomy is how to set up the swimming classes, when to do that. If you are an employee right now and you work in a company, no matter if it's a startup or if it's a large corporate and you feel 
bit bored and you're not very satisfied, you don't have a lot of autonomy or opportunity for mastery, what would be your advice for them? What if an employee is bored in a job? I think there's two options. You can change the company or you can change the company. I think boring is a result of whatever. I need to go figure out why, what's the driver behind that state of boredom that you have. And I think with that, you may just as well so looking at yourself in the mirror and asking yourself, what am I doing that this has become so bored? Maybe why don't I show some sort of an initiative? Or if you want to ask yourselves, why don't I have a why? Go figure out your why. Maybe you want to go figure that one out. There's different kinds of people. We'd have to probably ask our psychologists, et cetera, I just believe a lot into go figure out your own why and then go do and act. I'm just not so supportive of systems where you could just being served, stuff is put on your plate and then we ask you to kind of do a job and be very happy that you've done it somehow. I don't like to work with these kinds of people. Maybe sometimes it's not even people or maybe it's a bit the setup makes them behave like that. So and that's again where I ask myself, what can we change? So you can change the company or you can change the company. <laughs> That's very interesting. Before we go asking ourselves how to get rid of some sort of a boredom, ask ourselves, is boredom really so bad? We don't have to be over busy all the time. I think we need to have these moments. Maybe some boredom is not that bad. It will help give you a room to think. So use it. Use that space that you're getting to think and reflect and figure stuff out. I mean, boredom yes. goes away yeah. usually. Yeah. What should the employer do so the employee is not bored? That's not where I'm going to put most of my energy to. Motivation is your own thing. So figure out what motivates you and then change the company or change the company. Can you tell us more? What do you mean by that? I think it's really up to you. I think it's superhuman. I mean, why else would a baby learn to walk when she could be carried around for a lifetime. I'd play on that uh, and use that. I'm just very convinced of, you don't need to have incentive schemes of, you do this, you get one carrot. If you do that fast, you get two carrots. That's just crap. Especially for the kinds of work that we're doing, which is using our brains, which is highly creative stuff, the stuff to figure out. So you get the, the motivation needs to come from somewhere else. I would not help support setting up of a system that would foster motivation through direct incentives, et cetera. I think what we should rather do is, this is a leadership question. What do we have to do to provide setting, frame, resources, et cetera, so people that want to put their part of their lifetime into this whole venture, mission, et cetera, that they can sit on a stable three-legged stool? And of course, you need mechanisms and settings to orchestrate if there's more than one person to it. So that's when team play and teams of teams and whole movements comes um, into the discussion. You mentioned also that you're working with early stage startups and we know how important it is to learn leadership skills and also to install some procedures and processes when you're a startup to be able to scale. So uh, what are you doing there right now? And maybe you can tell us a couple of useful tips if you're just starting out a business. Originally, what's my experience with startups, et cetera? One was I joined the startup, you know, 20 years back. And uh, off and on, of course, I've had some contact with startups working from a corporate side with the startup. So I think that's my first phase working with startups was really interacting with startups, uh, co-creating with startups. And I think you need to be very 
conscious when you're on the corporate side working together with a startup because they're completely different. Compare that with if you're that big carnival ship in the harbor and there's an, a small startup with that, maybe some three horsepower, six horsepower engine in the harbor. And if you already throw your rope over to tie it together, you may sink the boat. So it's just understanding, you know, what we're dealing with, what sizes, et cetera, and how quick they can respond, act and have to make decisions. Whereas the big carnival ship is going to lay steady and just keep humming, et cetera. So that's a bit the first phase. Then I think the second phase was, okay, how can we transfer works for startup, that way of working into a corporate? This is the second phase where I worked at Swisscom, transferring what we've learned imported from the Silicon Valley. And then also what I did in my own project into how could this work in a corporate setup? And then I, the third phase was primarily as a coach, as the CEO of the Be Advanced um, Innovation Agency here in the Bern area. We've worked a lot with startups and helped them coach in the earliest stages of pre-founding. So it was really more the project idea, et cetera, to work on. And it has a lot to do with some basic innovation skills or techniques going forward. Think lean startup, roughly said, or design thinking. And then at a bit later stage, introducing Agile first. And uh, over the last six years, through my coaching activities, and you know, I have a lot of ideas. The occasional opportunity jumped up. And one was in 2017, I founded a startup in Hong Kong with my cousin, which then in 2019 we moved to Switzerland together with another co-founder and refounded it in 2019. Here's the clean tech air quality system startup. And in this year, 2020, I helped reset up the Relay project, Bitcoin investment app with Julian and two other colleagues to make it a startup company from project to company and helping it scale right now. So I'm a co-founder as well. And this shows you a bit of how I'm involved in the startups with my own skin, whereas I learned very, very quickly as an innovation coach and consultant, startups will not hire you because they believe it's way too expensive. From my experience, well, this is the sales pitch. It's way worth it, way worth it. Because what I see very often, I've seen tens of times is these startup teams, once they get going initially, they overestimate how good they are a way of working, a natural way of working, just because they were in the first phases, you know, it was just hands-on, you know, pulling your sleeves back and get going. That doesn't mean that they're systematic and profound on the methods applied. And that is where I could come into play. This is what I primarily contribute. By now, we found my role description. I'm a leadership co-pilot. So I can help the top leaders, usually the CEO, the founding team, in the regular coaching sessions, understanding what's at stake. The larger part of where I can contribute is strategy, which is obvious. And the other one, probably the most resourceful and biggest lever is team play, team setup. Helping translate what's really important. And we'll be primarily talking about motivation and orchestration, how they work together. One of the things being how to introduce OKRs, objectives and key results as an operating system really. And you shouldn't be doing this like a technical installation. It's really a cultural setup and a change program to get that going. And at which stage would you recommend people to install OKRs? And in which stage would you recommend to start really working on procedures? Immediately. But 
not with a big bang. You know, objectives and key results is primarily saying, do you have a purpose, which is your overall objective? And then you ask yourself, well, how can we tell that we are successful or how successful do we want to be? So that somehow starts quantifying that or make it observable, which you could say, yes, we have, but no, we don't. Immediately do that. If you look at Simon Sinek, the why, how, what, the concentric circles, I think this is something you need to have in any kind of venture that you start. The moment you start thinking about it, the moment you get some sort of a movement forward, you have a why. You need to have what as soon as you're doing it. And the how is always the basis of the values and principles that are going to link the why with the what. So this is how I work with it. And as soon as you've got that established, you can incrementally grow and quite quickly start thinking about OKRs. I don't like it too much to say, let's install OKRs. It sounds like you need to have a program like installing Microsoft Office or installing whatever SAP, et cetera. But it's really more that way of working again from an agile perspective and, and the leadership perspective. And from your experience, what are some of the keys for success? What have you seen that makes startups succeed or fail? Roughly put, and I think this is shared a bit in the community that I move in, you have two types of startups, maybe three that never make it, but two types of startups. You have those that have a great technology slash solution and then build it into something that the market actually at one point somehow adapts, or you have startup teams that really understand a problem we're solving and can discover an unmet need and make that palpable and then find solutions to fulfill that need or to solve that problem. I think the second part, those that really understand and are keen on understanding a problem, I believe they're more likely to be successful. So that is one thing. You need to have a problem worth solving so you can make a business out of it. Then, you know, what makes startups successful? Probably some external factors as well. It has a lot to do with timing. And not only was what's the world economy doing itself and timing, like, oh, what people are available that we can then group and set up and get going and create that momentum, the chemistry, et cetera. Timing as well. So you're not solely responsible for the success of your startup. Three is probably being able to consistently create focus on what you're working on. And this has a lot to do with the capability of setting priorities and Again, setting priorities very often misunderstood of, okay, this is what we're going to do. All the things that we're not going to do right now. This is what creates focus. Put that aside. So in agile terms, you have a backlog for a reason. You can park stuff and let it sit. It's not going to go anywhere, but you're not going to do anything on it. And then you prioritize to what to focus on and then stick to that. It's really, for me, that question of you're a founder, co-founder, a team of two, making the next step to seven to 15. It's going to be super, super interesting. I haven't created the visual yet for it, but I have that. And I'm going to show you because we're on video. I'm going to show you this. So if you're a, a leadership team, founding team, one or two, that's a strong tip that you have. And in order to create more momentum and thrust and power in your team, you want to enlarge your team. And you want them to create a flank that's going to catch up to you. You have a broader front that you can push forward. It's not the leadership team that needs to pull harder in the front. So it's that movement instead of from a tip shape into a V, into a really widespread front that's going to move forward. That is super tricky to do. 
that is where you don't want to fall into the trap start discussing of how do you delegate and how do you motivate i think that's a death trap because by delegation you're creating a pyramid a hierarchy it's really more about okay what's the purpose and then give them the space the autonomy to understand what they can contribute to make this a more successful venture the cause the purpose should give them motivation that they can learn on it i mean a lot of people want to work in a startup not because they can't get another job because it's exciting to learn a lot it's an eventful ride and it gives you possibility to go out and see whether i can prove myself out there so that's a lot of motivational aspects to that as well how do you communicate this to your team obviously you need to be able to find these people first of all that want to become part of it and you're not going to convince them with some sort of a safety etc what they have but you're going to be able to motivate them to join you if you can show them that this is something worthwhile getting up in the morning etc and then i just quickly thought about that is it communicating really which sounds a lot like from me to them versus sharing which is saying hey listen this is what's in my head this is what gets me out of bed this is what i see as an opportunity and then let it sit every listener out there now they start thinking about this you do and this is what i want to tap into i've reframed from explaining communicating instructing like i've done 15 years ago i said okay let me i've thought this through i'm going to tell you exactly what i think it is what's so clever about it what you should do etc and instruct to the the fifth digit behind the comma to let me share you why i get out of bed with this let me share you what i've learned so far what i think is the key to success where i think we should no longer run into let me also share what i don't want to see happening this is just forbidden territory if you want to do this go do it somewhere else but apart from that i work with the idea that you guys are probably just as intelligent as motivated as resourceful as i may have been maybe at your age some of them being significantly younger and what helps me a lot is also me being somewhere in the middle of this age group of people that are trying to contribute a bit in the startup world i often think of okay would i have wanted to be led like that when i was 25 and, you know i catch myself like all oh, right maybe not i would have loved to have more autonomy i would have loved that whoever the leader is would have shared the purpose for, for more versus telling me exactly what to do because that's going to motivate me so much i'm going to go and push forward and do that and very simply put how to create a performing team and again there's a lots and lots and lots and lots of ideas about it and i think one we've talked about it i believe is key you need to and want to create focus so it's putting the resources which are limited that you have behind a very few topics to push them significantly forward to learn and say well yeah check we'll do that oh no it didn't work let's adapt to that uh, so that's one thing creating focus and the second one is about orchestration is create transparency make sure that you can see what's happening what your colleagues in the teams are doing versus all right it's going to run all the way up to the top and then you're going to down again i'm going to be playing now with these words a bit and creating transparency also creating transparency that the great idea that we have in our head when we build it and show the customers they don't respond to it no reaction what's actually happening what impact that we're having here yeah so it's focus and transparency and maybe 
less communication, more sharing, which is again, creating transparency. In order to create focus, you need to have a discipline to do stick to what you've decided and committed to doing. If somebody is a corporate employee and wants to change, wants to leave the company and wants to start a startup, what are the first three steps that they should take in order to make their vision go live? I think there's only one step. What is it? Quit your job. Quit your job. <laughs> if you wanted to start counting which step it is, it's certainly not the only step, but I'm just going to put it out the other way. I've seen so many people out there that are employed in corporate and they reduce to 90%, 80%. And like, I'm going to found a startup. I think it doesn't work. Startup on the side does not work. I've seen it happen with myself. It doesn't work. I had to get out of any kind of operative role. That's not working. And we've talked about it before. You can change the company or change the company. If you have a great idea and you believe it has something to it, go for it. That's that step you need to be able to have at least that minimal courage to do and go forward. And I just know from personal experience, I've done it twice. You're being perceived so totally different by your environment. Honestly committed to your project versus, yeah, I'm still sitting a bit on that safe bank and the pension fund, you know, I could always, you know, just go back from 80 to 100%, etc. I'm going to just give this, this is like, Tapping your foot a bit in the water versus let's jump into the cold and deep end of the pool. That's what you need. If you don't even have that, don't even try. If you don't even have the courage to jump into the cold and deep end of the pool, if you're not willing to quit your job and jump, I think it's just the first test for yourself. Are you convinced enough that you have that in you to go see and develop yourself into an entrepreneur? So you need to be a little bit careful on the moment when you decide to quit your job. What is your opinion on that? If you are a person thinking about, hey, I may have an idea to be a startup, I think you need to be able to judge exactly these questions that you just asked me, you know, what if, etc. I mean, this is not going to go away once you start your startup. You'll always be in lack of resources, being a time people you want to hire, and especially finances and funding. And I think we all need to be aware of the economic system that we're working in. We're doing well. I mean, if you're coming from a corporate, it may be, it may be, I'm being a bit cynical here, it may be that you were able to put some of that money aside, which should then help fund the first stages of you funding a startup. So forget that idea that, yeah, you have an idea and then investors are just going to pour their money into you before you've even proven anything itself. There's going to be a significant pre-investment on your side. Whether you do that while you're still employed and working night shifts, et cetera, to reduce your work at wherever you are in order to start preparing, focusing, in order to then leap into the cold end of the pool, that's just a question of your first stage of being an entrepreneur. That idea of, well, no risk, but only the potential benefits. You probably want to recalibrate your risk profile there. When I quit, you basically simply put, with my wife together, we look at how much cash do we have? What's our burn down chart? You need to learn to deal with a burn down chart. Do it on your private household with three kids, et cetera, and a cat. And then you see, well, how much you're burning and you know exactly how long you're going to be in the air on that glide path. And anything that you can make in between is going to extend that glide path. And that's all what uh, setting up a business is all about. There are some certain actions that you can do before you quit your job. 
Yeah, and no, I agree. I mean, next to being cynical and provocative, I agree. I'm practically saying you're not going to decide and put a blindfold over your eyes and say, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to jump into the dark end of the pool. We're probably going to hit your head because you don't even know where the pool is. That is very often you're seeing something in your more or less closer work environment where you're spotting a problem that's worth solving, that's quite likely not being addressed yet, especially not by your own employer. And you start thinking about that. And why not go validate that, talk to friends and out there and do that. It just comes a point where you say, okay, this needs to become your main job. Your main job as a startup is not you're going to send out the bill and go order a Tesla for yourself and then uh, have a really cool leather chair. That's just not the startup. All right, now, I believe in this idea or this problem we're solving. And I believe also I need to be able to commit to it full time. That's when you need to get, again, in question of priority, you start deciding what you're no longer going to do. And that's probably your job. That should also take a lot of your energy and time. So you need to get that focus there in order to have speed because you want to be able to move forward. Thanks a lot, Lars, for this very insightful interview. You share a lot of interesting ideas and a lot of interesting thought that we now have to think about. As you mentioned, there are so many other topics that could be another podcast episode. And I hope that I'm going to see you in my podcast again and we can touch on some of these topics. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for listening. And don't forget to subscribe for my podcast in order to get notified when the next episode comes out.